from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Proud to be here with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios. You're also watching us live on Facebook, facebook.com backslash live now DT. Having some fun here in the studios. Wake Up Call will be on the road for Friday and Monday. So this is the last time you'll see us in the studio for a couple days inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios. And then we'll be doing Wake Up Call OTR, Wake Up Call on the road on Friday and Monday. And then we're right back at it here inside of the studios once again. But we take Charney's with us when we go, just like I take my clothes from Charney's and I look good and feel good in my Charney's menswear. We'll be taking them on the road with us and then we'll be back here with you inside of our familiar digs on Tuesday. So thank you so much for all the support and all the love and thank you to all of our partners in the community and, and a big thanks to Papa Joe. Mon Paz Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory brings you what's popping every single broadcast. They have at least 50 flavors of kettle corn at any given time and you got to go there every week because they constantly are changing their flavors and bringing in new things and new creations. 201 Old 7th North Street in Liverpool, New York is where you can find Mon Paz Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory. Perfect gift for this coming Thanksgiving to put on the table. My grandma used to have, my grandmothers used to do these, these little gifts. They, they would give like the kids these, you know, little things like the candies and whatnot. That would be a perfect gift to do is to have some Mon Paz kettle corn and here on your Thanksgiving table. And of course, for Christmas, they will have it there as well as, as well as some awesome flavors. I'm sure they'll do some candy cane, chocolate, something like that. Something amazing as they always do. So with that being said, Inside of what's popping, it's now time to speak with Eric Kroom. He's here with us on the broadcast. He's on the West Coast today, and he was nice enough to get up early here and be here with us hanging out. He's from Syracuse as well as the NFL, and always a voice I love having on the broadcast and appreciate his time tremendously. So with that being said, let's bring him in. There's a lot to discuss, and there's a lot of opinion to be had. Eric, how are we doing today? I'm good. How are we doing today, Dan? I'm doing well, man. What's up? How's life? You got up early. It's seven. It's seven twenty-five on the West Coast right now. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Up early. Get you. Uh, have a good conversation with my guy. That's right. Yeah, and I'm excited to have it. So there's a lot of different things that you know we've been talking about in the college football world here, and you know you and I, I, I definitely want to discuss. Uh, there's so many different areas for us to go to, but uh, first and foremost, let's talk about this. You know, this Syracuse football season at this point. You know, I don't think anybody anticipated three and six. I, I don't think anybody anticipated that the only wins would be against, you know, non conference opponents that they were supposed to beat, and, and those being Holy Cross, Western Michigan, and Liberty. I, also, on top of that, kind of an insult to injury that all of those three teams have better records than Syracuse, and, you know, bowl eligibility is with those teams and not with the Orange right now. So it's been a very tumultuous season. What have you been seeing from the team this season, in your opinion? Uh, first off, I think it's easily addressed the offensive line and how the offense has been playing. Like, I think the defense has a lot of bright spots, but it's only so much you can do when you're constantly on the field, especially 
when you try to run the tempo offense, but if you're not getting first downs or making plays, yeah. it puts the defense right back on the field. And I think it's kind of a difference now because they're used to what Eric Dungey brought last year when he was able to make plays with his feet more. DeVito, I'm not saying DeVito can't make more plays than feet, but when you have a bad offensive line and you don't have the same quarterback to improvise when the offensive line isn't playing as well, like last year, it kind of hurts the whole scheme of the offense. Yeah, you know, and and we, we discussed that, you know, this offensive line. And going into the season, I said my my concern areas for this team are the linebacker core that have lost leadership over the last couple of years. And and that wasn't a takeaway from anybody there. It was just to state the fact that you had guys like Zaire Franklin, Jonathan Thomas, and Paris Bennett that had started from day zero. And then you had, you know, somebody come in like Ryan Guthrie and Kylan Whitner evolved there. And, you know, they had been in those, you know, positions of leadership roles and now they're gone. So linebacker was a concern for me. Quarterback was a concern for me because coming into the game as opposed to being the outright starter is very different. And above all things, they said the offensive line took four to five years to build and now they have to rebuild it again. And two weeks before the season, I'm being told that the offensive line didn't even know who their starters were at what position because the coaches didn't know who they liked where yet. And two weeks before a season, you should know who's playing the position that they're playing. And that obviously leaked into the season. I was worried about it. I thought that they could get through it in their non-conference schedule. But, you know, ultimately when you play in the ACC, then it's going to be hard to get past something like that. And obviously it has been. So, you know, the areas of concern that I said before the season started are the areas of concern now you know, nine games in going into their 10th game, which is not a good sign. And the offensive line seems to be the most glaring issue. Did you get a sense of that as well? Did you feel like it was going to be the line, the quarterback, the linebackers? Did you get a sense of that before the season started? Yeah, you, you like you said, when you're trying to replace staples of guys that build their reputation and what you have established, it, it gets totally different after a while. Because, like, you had guys that you knew that were solidifying their positions and it wasn't no question. And you bring in, not saying DeVito's a new quarterback, but when you play in Spurs and, and, and there's a full-time start, it's totally different. Not to bring up the expectations they put on the team from the beginning. Uh, we were expecting a, a very well nine, ten win season. And yeah. as it turns out like that, so it's kind of hard when you put expectations on kids that never had to do with those expectations for the first time in a while. It was the first time being ranked since 2001, I believe. So it's a whole different ball game when people expect you to do things. It's kind of like the same thing that happened to the Browns. It's kind of easy when you're sneaking up on people, but when everybody expects you to produce and play well, it turns into a whole different ball game. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Speaking here with Eric Kroom this morning from Syracuse and NFL history on the defensive line, for for this team to be one of the most penalized teams in the nation, you know, self-inflicted wounds are the worst ones when we're speaking about Syracuse here. What can you say to that respect? Because it seems like, you know, obviously the defense, you know, you're, you're a former defensive lineman, and we look at the D coordinator that was just fired at Syracuse, Brian Ward. I wrote a story a year ago, about a, a year and a couple months ago, and that was that there needed to be a change on on defense with the person that was running the defense. And it wasn't a witch hunt for Brian Ward. It was just the reality that when he was at Drake, he gave up 17 points a game. When he went to Western Illinois, it was giving up 20-plus points a game. And Bowling Green gave up almost 30 points a game. Came to Syracuse, 
First season at Syracuse, his defense gave up 38.58 points a game, then 32 points a game. Then last year, you got the Dungy factor and everything else going on. And then this year, you're giving up 63 to Maryland, who's awful. You're giving up 58 to Boston College, who doesn't score that high. So, you know, it was clear to me that a change needed to be had really from the beginning. And I was kind of shocked that, that, you know, besides knowing Brian Ward, why Dino Babers would hire him for that position when he's progressively gotten worse and stopping teams. What do you think about, about that factor? The fact that, you know, Brian Ward consistently got worse from school to school that he went to and coming to Syracuse, he was giving up almost 40 points a game. Oh, uh, but like we talked about this in the past, when your resume speaks that you continually getting worse, what would entice me to hire you? I'm going to give you more responsibility. Right. And even back, what was that two years ago? We spoke about how the defense doesn't attack; they sit back and wait. Like you, when you see blisses, I feel like they dial up blisses at the wrong time, and they're too conservative at times too. Like you're sitting back and you're in a conference full of athletes, even though ACC is down. The home recruiting better athletes they get from the South and on the East Coast is a high-quality athlete. Like, you can't sit and wait back on a team like Clemson when you got 10 guys running the 4 3 or something like that. Like, you have to bring it to them, especially with this offense that they're trying to be high-powered. You're basically just giving up the points that you anticipate in the score, which is, like, I thought the whole point of defense was to stop the offense, not just try to hold. Like, they don't be aggressive enough for, for my taste. You know, and that's the thing. You're a former defensive lineman on this team, and like you said, you know, they're not attacking. I think what makes I think what makes things even worse this year, you know, like a double negative, is the fact that, you know, you know, and shout out to Isaiah Johnson, former defensive lineman of Syracuse, who's watching now too. But to see, you know, for you from that perspective of being a former defensive lineman for Syracuse, seeing that they don't attack, seeing that it's more of a read and react defense, and the frustration that comes from that. How about the fact that the ACC is literally playing terrible football this year? The Coastal Division is, I mean, Virginia's got some bright spots, but there's nothing to write home about on the Coastal side. None of them are ranked. Wake Forest and Clemson are the only two teams that have been ranked the entire season inside of the ACC, and Wake has gone in and out of the rankings. Louisville's gotten better with Scott Satterfield from Appalachian State in his first season. Boston College isn't doing that bad. You know, these teams will get to some bowl games and whatnot. But to see Syracuse playing this bad this year when it's a when the conference itself is not playing strong football, and on top of all of that, Syracuse is the only team out of 14 that doesn't have a win in the ACC. It seems like this this kind of th- this three and six season is bad. But being a three and six team with no wins in the ACC when the ACC is bad makes it look even worse, doesn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. It's like in this conference, honestly, sucks this year. Not to pull any punches, but it really stinks. And it's not to get a win and giving up the big games to teams that shit. Like you said, but I've never known Boston College to be a fifty-point score program. Like they usually play hard nosed football. Y'all giving up fifty-something points to Boston College and. When the games do get close, some games they don't know how to execute. They fall apart or they give up sacks. So it's kind of just disheartening. Do you see this team? You know, when when you when you see, uh, you know, Dino Babers. You know, he he went out publicly, and uh, Ryan Alexander, who was the starting right tackle on the team, he left the team. Uh, Dino had said, you know, he called the O line coach. He didn't call me. So it sounded like you know that rubbed Dino the wrong way. You know, I'm the head coach. That's his position coach. He didn't call me. 
What are your thoughts on that? Because obviously your D-line coach when you were at Syracuse, you spent more time with, I would think, than anybody. So, you know, Ryan Alexander, here he is calling the guy that's with him every day, but he doesn't call Dino. And then Dino says, we don't talk about people who quit. Seeing him call out a player publicly, saying that the player quit, and then saying, well, he didn't call me, he just called his position coach. How do you respond to that as a former player? Uh, it's kind of like straddling the fence. Like, I think you should have let the head coach know, but it's, in the second sense, why well, call out the kid when you spend when you spend time with your position coach and build those relationships? So that's going to be your closest bond for me. Like, I know, like, I'm still close to Coach Dow to this day. Like, I would have told him anything before I told anybody, but I still think your head coach needs to know. But for him to call the kid out publicly, it's kind of, if he and I, I, I think highly of Coach Baber, so I wouldn't say it was an ill intent, but I personally don't agree with calling the kid out. You could have just said, hey, we're moving on. He decided to make a decision instead of saying, well, he didn't call me. You know, some things doesn't have to be aired out in the public and get just behind the way I closed doors because, you know, that the kid is 20, 21 years old. He doesn't have the same perspective as Coach Baber's a 50-year-old man who's been through life and know how to handle situations and know how to address things as an adult. So I wouldn't have took it that route, me personally. Here's here's my other thing. Speaking with Eric Kroom this morning, Syracuse and NFL alum on the defensive line. Dino says after the Pittsburgh loss at home, every you know all everybody's job's on the line. Everybody's job's on the line. You know these guys got to come to practice. Everybody's job's open. Some people's response to that some alumni response to that was well you didn't say your job was on the line. You didn't say your coach's jobs were on the line. Are they on the line too? So that was one of the critiques of it. The other critique of it was, why say that publicly? Now, now to me, if I was the head coach, I would go into that locker room and say, listen, guys, something's not clicking, something's not working. So, you know, we're going to go out to practice this week, and it's just going to be like going through training camp. I got to see who wants it. I wouldn't have talked about it publicly. He did. He said, everybody's job's on the line. I asked Mo Neal about it, and Mo said, well, you don't know if he's talking about you, so you got to just keep going hard at practice because you don't know who he's talking about. What are your thoughts as a former player when a head coach says to the media, everybody's job's on the line right now? Uh, I agree with you. I think that's an in-house thing, and it kind of seems like a front-running mentality because was everybody's job on the line if the, the record was reversed? Right. This is football. Everybody, you should be able to compete for your spot almost every day. This, just as a football player, competition brings out the best in everybody. So don't make it seem like, oh, our job's on the line because we're a loser. So what if you're winning? Were the job's on the line then? Were they going to compete for spots every day in practice? So you can't have a front-running mentality where everything's going good. It's not, oh, we're not going to compete. Everybody's job is on the line. But when we're losing, we're all in the panic state. It kind of just makes me seem like they were front-running. Everything goes good. Everything is fine. Uh, there's no issues. But now we're addressing the media with problems and everything. I think some things should just be in house, like you said, because they had a private meeting. Hey guys, I want to see more competition. Nobody's spot is solidified. Let's let's work and see what we got this week. Simple, like simple meeting instead of calling kids out. Because as a young kid, sometimes you're not reacting when somebody's calling you out. Like I said, you don't know how to react that you would. Like now you're. 30-some-year-old man, you wouldn't react the same when you were 20 years old if certain things happened to you. Or me personally, I wouldn't react the same thing five years ago that I would now, especially when I feel like someone's calling me out. So some things are just kept between the team. You know, and that's and that's something that, you know, I look at this, and when Dino had those speeches, 
you know, yeah, an ESPN camera was allowed in there, but when Dino had those big time speeches when they were beating Clemson and they were having a good season uh, last season to follow, when those moments were happening, Dino was talking to the team behind closed doors in the locker room. When problems arise, Dino's talking about it to the media and publicizing it. So my question, because I respect Dino too, so my question is, you know, how does this make any sense that when the team's doing well, that emotional speech is just between you and the guys, but when the team's losing, you're telling the media about it. And I said, you know, as a media member, I should want to eat that up, right? But you know, and the guy, and guys know this, I care about you guys more than anything. So when I care about you, it's like, yeah, okay, oh, it's a great story. Dino just called everybody out. You didn't see me write that article on my page because I'm sitting here thinking, did he lose control of this team? How are the guys doing? Are they okay? What are the seniors going to do? If this keeps happening, how are they going to get any film for the NFL? So I have a different take than maybe the majority of the media on this because I don't like seeing family struggles publicly, but it seems like when the family was eating good, Dino was keeping that in the locker room. And now when the family is, you know, scrapping for, you know, looking for scraps, he's talking about it publicly. So I just wonder if that's a coach that's lost control. Yeah, that's what, that's the thing that kind of bothers me about it. It's like when things are going good, oh, we're high-fiving, you're speeching, but when it's going bad, now you call the kids out. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's an issue that we're running into right now, which which I think is is difficult. Do you do you get a sense that that there's some control lost when you look at these things? I mean, the the guy that said let's have faith, belief without evidence, let's have faith, belief without evidence and kept pounding that home. I'm not seeing that guy right now. I, you know, this you need to have faith when he I mean, when he asked for it in the beginning, obviously fans we're, we're not believing in anything. But right now, in this moment, when your faith is shaken, this is when I want to see Dino go back to those words and echo those sentiments and say, remember when I came out during that basketball game at Syracuse and I walked onto the court at the Dome and I had my SU Letterman jacket on and I said, let's have some faith, belief without evidence. Why isn't he, why, why is he not saying that right now? That's what I'm wondering. Like, shouldn't this be the time where he says that again? It definitely should. I only thing I can think is maybe he's trying to find a different spark for the team by doing that, but I wouldn't go about it that way. But I'm totally with you. I totally agree. Like, don't front run when everything is good and when things go bad, you want to seem in a state of panic. Yeah. You know, so that's where we sit right now with Syracuse football. Unfortunately, this team has got three games to go, and it doesn't look like there will be a bowl for the team this year after going 10-3 and three last year. And and doing a lot of things that they hadn't done in 17 years, 20 years, and so on and so forth. And being ranked in the top 25 at preseason this year, haven't been ranked since that moment. So uh, very tough for Syracuse as they move forward. With uh, with that being said, we continue here with Eric Kroom. And to take a look at the grander picture here around college football in general, the college football playoff rankings have come out. And this is the second week that the college football playoff has ranked for this year. So what's your take on it? I mean, I just spoke with Papa Joe. Him and I, uh, weeks and weeks ago, said LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama were our four teams in no specific order that were going to make the college football playoff. Right now, three of those four are in. Uh, Alabama's just outside. Georgia's in right now. Oregon is outside. Utah's outside. 
Minnesota's undefeated, and they're only one ranking above Penn State, who they just defeated. And the American Athletic Conference, who I respect and have covered since their institution, they can't seem to get higher than 17 right now, even though they have three one-loss teams, four one-loss teams, and one of them got bumped out of the top 25 after they won a game, which makes no sense. So what's your take of the college football playoff rankings and what you're seeing right now? I think they kind of respect in the SEC's uh, past dominance with uh, Alabama still being in position because it's still a possibility they can make the playoffs with one loss and not win the conference championship, which is kind of, you know, kind of crazy a little bit. But uh, I like LSU. They beat a lot of good teams, and they deserve their spot. Ohio State has been dominant all year. But uh, it's kind of crazy how Minnesota's only wakes break one spot in front of the team they just beat, especially when their team was number four in the country before and I also feel about the polls that they're disrespecting Clemson a little bit. They're not, they can't help who's put in front of them that they play. Like, I know the ACC is out, but they haven't lost a game and they defend the champs. And how are they at the top five? I mean, how are they at the top four last week? Like, it seems like they put them back in by default now just because, like, how they keep, how did they drop and they didn't lose a game? Well, and here's the thing. Clemson has played one ranked team this season, Texas A&M. Alabama also played Texas A&M, and the only other ranked team that they played was LSU, and they lost. So if you put them up side by side, you say, okay, Alabama's played one ranked team that they beat. Clemson's played one ranked team that they beat. It's the same team in Texas A&M, and LSU you know, just lost to Alabama. So if there's all this respect for Alabama when they're not – and they're not going to play a ranked team the rest of the way except for Auburn. They're going to play Mississippi State, and then they're playing Western Carolina. So you know, if this is the case – then Alabama looks similar to Clemson on paper, beating you know both beating the same ranked team in Texas A&M. Yet Clemson doesn't have a loss, and I know Al- I know Alabama's below Clemson right now. But what I'm getting at is, if Clemson's being punished for not playing you know a tough enough schedule or t- you know a tough enough conference or whatever, you know Alabama is not really playing. You know when when we break it all down, they're not playing the ranked schedule either. You know what I mean? They haven't had to play Florida. They haven't had to play Georgia, so you know I I, I don't know I, I guess to me if you're gonna if you're gonna poo poo Clemson then you kind of have to poo poo Alabama too based on their if you put their schedules back to back they look very similar right now. And that, that's what killed that's what killed me about it as well. It's like Alabama's schedule is not that good either, and then they still might slip in from default because if Georgia stayed undefeated the rest of the way and made the conference championship and LSU stayed undefeated. So what if uh, Georgia loses? So does Alabama slide back top, to the top four? Right. Or if over a, a, a possible Oregon being the Pac-12 championship and one loss Oregon team. So it's I don't know how they tend on playing it out. Or what if it's a close game in the SEC championship and Georgia loses by a field goal? Or if Georgia beats LSU, how do you place LSU and they had a way tougher schedule than the Alabama and Oregon? Well, the way that I look at it is, is is simply this. I think that, and I said this last week before the game was even played, I said Penn State was in the top four, not because not because the committee, I don't think the committee, now this is me speaking from the outside looking in, I don't know the people on the committee, so this is just my opinion. A couple of years ago, Penn State was not kept, was not put in the top four. They were kept at number five. And they were a really good team that just didn't get any respect from the committee, 
And when they got their game, their New Year's Six game, sent them off to Pasadena to play up against USC. So you're be, you're the fifth-ranked team one step outside of the college football playoff, and your present is to play a road game against USC in their home state. Doesn't make any sense. So this year, a couple years later, it's like, okay, well, Penn State's undefeated. Let's put them in the top four at the beginning. This is my mentality of how the committee looked at this. Let's put Penn State in. Let's pretend that we respect them. We'll make them a top four team because we know they have to play Minnesota and we know they have to play Ohio State. So we're going to go to we're going to go to the casino and we're going to put our money on the other teams. And once they lose to Minnesota or Ohio State or both, we can take them out of the top four and say, "Look, you did it to yourselves. We respected you. You lost. Now it's your fault." I think that it was a setup, and I think it's the same thing for you know a Georgia team because I think Alabama is still going to get in I think it's essentially a setup and I think if they you know so that's the way that I look at it I think that Penn State was only put there as a filler spot when ultimately they were going to get knocked out and that's what happened you know they 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 lost and now the committee won't put them back in but I don't think Minnesota is going to get in because I don't think the committee wants to put them in and so, you know, I, I think, again, just like the BCS, it's a flawed system. And I think Penn State was set up to fail. And the committee, you know, went to the casino and put their money on it. And they ended up rolling snake eyes and they got what they needed. So, you know, that that's how I see it right now. I think the committee has already been rolling the dice. And I think it's worked out for the committee so far. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with you on that, that they're trying to put teams in position. So when they do lose, it's like they gave them a chance. Right. Because are they really giving them a chance or is this just the reality? I mean, I think it's, I think that, and I've said this before, the only team in this country that can lose two games and still get in the college football playoff is Alabama. Because the way that I look at the college football playoff year to year is this. Alabama's got their spot. You know, there's a spot dedicated to Alabama. There's a spot dedicated to another SEC team, potentially the SEC champion. There's a spot for Clemson and there's a spot, there's a wild card spot. And I think the Pac-12 is going to be really pissed off this year because they don't have respect from this committee. Oregon and Utah are both one-loss teams. Then Minnesota is going to have a case. Then Oklahoma is going to be pissed off. And that if Florida runs the table and Georgia somehow falters somewhere and Florida can play in the SEC championship game, now Florida's complaining about this. And then Cincinnati and Memphis, if they stay one-loss teams, if Navy stays a one-loss team, if SMU stays a one-loss team, I think I think eventually the committee just has to come out and state the obvious, which is simply this. We respect Alabama, the SEC, the ACC in most years, and the other spot is a wild card because the American Athletic Conference is doing what they're supposed to do. And on top of that, there's other teams around the country that are doing what they're supposed to do. But Memphis, Cincinnati, Minnesota, Navy, don't they don't have the respect of the conference or they don't have the respect of the committee. And if you don't have the respect of the committee, I mean, look at what the committee did with Notre Dame. Notre Dame has two losses. They played three ranked teams. They lost to two of them. The only ranked team that they beat is not ranked anymore. And Notre Dame doesn't have a strength of conference because they're not in a conference. Yet they're regarded as higher than the entire American Athletic Conference, four teams that are one-loss teams. And the American Athletic is going to go to the end of it. SMU, Navy, and Memphis are all in a three-way round-robin tie type of situation to try and win that division to play in the American athletic championship game. 
So when some people say, well, you know, the American Athletic doesn't get respect because there's only one good team, and that's UCF, there's four teams that are ranked higher than UCF right now in the American that will send at least seven teams out of 12 to a bowl game this year. And the worst team in the American Athletic is UConn, and they're leaving the conference. So you can't even say that they're pulling the conference down because they're not going to be there anymore. So I've made a case for the American. I'll make a case for Minnesota. I'll make a case for Oregon. I'll make a case for Utah. But the reality of it all is we know what's going to happen because just like the BCS, we are. I told you two months ago the four teams, and that's going to be the four teams more than likely. Yeah, they have a system. I think it's not uh, not trying to be outlandish, but it's about money as well. Right. We want the big name programs in the big name games. Right. Especially with all those big bowl games. Majority of the bowl games are down in the south. So to have an Alabama or uh, Clemson that travels well, or even Ohio State, a traditional powerhouse, you want those big name schools and the big name money making games. Like Notre Dame, they have a big fan. They're one of the most traditional programs in college football. So the higher they put these teams up, the more uh, revenue they can generate off these bowl games and the buzz they get from behind from pushing these big schools. You're not going to get the same type of revenue from uh, Cincinnati making a high bowl game or one of those smaller schools making uh, the playoff because they're not going to travel well and nobody's going to be anxious to see them and we're going to have them in our mind they will get crushed by some of those other schools, which may not be true. Right. So I think it's the whole thing of let's push the big name programs out so we can make money off these games and keep pushing the brand of college football of oh, the traditional powerhouses is back in the big game or if we can get another Alabama Clemson in the playoff for, what, the fourth time in the sense to play, like, you know, something like that, a storyline. Well, you know, and that's the thing. Speaking here with Syracuse and NFL alum Eric Kroom this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios, 3150 Erie Boulevard East is the place to go in Syracuse for all menswear to dress up and dress down. You know, that that's that's the thing is, you know, we're sitting here talking about, you know, it comes down to money. If Major League Baseball had a committee that decided who made the Major League Baseball playoffs, the Yankees would always be in the playoffs, no matter what their record is. The Cowboys would always be in the NFL playoffs, no matter what their record is, because, you know, that's how Notre Dame is treated. Notre Dame is only in the top 16. They're only in the top 25 in the college football playoff rankings at all right now because they're Notre Dame. And and, And I'm this crazy person that thinks that rankings should be based on what you've done this year and this year alone, and in the case of LSU, that's the case. But that's but that's not with Alabama. You know, that that's not with Clemson as of recent history. That's you know, that that's not with Notre Dame. That's not with Michigan. Michigan's not scaring anybody this year. Notre Dame isn't scaring anybody this year. But you know, you look at this thing and, and it comes down to history with some of these places, and I'm sorry, but I didn't know that the college football playoff had to do, I thought it had to do with wins and losses, who you played against and what you did. I didn't know it had to do with movies like Rudy or, you know, how many fans you have or how many boosters you have or how well people travel. I didn't know that there were all this other criteria, and if I had known that and the rest of college football had known that, they wouldn't have signed off on the fact that some teams are always going to be in the top 25 and they're always going to be above you because 100 years ago they were a really good football team. Yeah, they make it in the Lifetime Achievement Award instead of what the eyes tell them. Yeah, and I don't get it. So, you know, the American Athletic Conference I'll continue to fight for because some of the best games in football, and some people have said that to me. Oh, you know, Dan, I watch, you know, the, the when, when game day went for SMU undefeated at Memphis who had one loss and 
Memphis won a, a barn burner of a game. You know, oh my God, Dan, it was such a good game. Or I watched Memphis and Temple, and I, you know, I watched Navy, Navy and Notre Dame is going to be awesome this year. You know, and I hope I, you know, I picked Notre Dame because they're at home and this and the other. But I hope Navy kicks their tail this week because I'd love to see what the committee is going to do because Navy will probably go up one spot and Notre Dame will probably stay at 16. Because, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's like they get beat. But if that's the case, if Navy beats Notre Dame, Navy's 23, Notre Dame is 16. If you want to keep Notre Dame in that area, just like Minnesota and Penn State, then Navy's got to go from 23 to 15. And Michigan's got to go down. Well, we can't put Michigan below Navy. It's not the Why? Why? Have Navy play Michigan right now. You think Jim Harbaugh should keep his job right now? Should, should he be in that post last year? Should he be in that? And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to say I wish bad on the guy. I'm just saying the reality of it all is, who is Michigan scaring right now? Michigan has the same record as Indiana, who everybody thinks sucks, and Indiana's a damn good team. So, And they have a guy from Central New York, Stevie Scott, as a running back. But... You know, I, I just, when push comes to shove, Eric, I'm never going to understand how politics get involved with rankings. I'm just not going to. Yeah, it makes no sense. It's the Lifetime Achievement Award for football. Well, and put it like this. If Syracuse had beaten Clemson last year, you and I know damn well there's no way in hell that the committee for the college football playoff would have ever put Syracuse in the top four. Oh, no. You know that. You know that. But if Clemson has all the rapport, then they should have been, right? They should have been. But they would find some way to say, oh, you know, Clemson, Clemson stubbed their toe. You know, all the guys collectively stubbed their toe on the way into the dome. And it was, you know, just like it was a hard day. And, you know, it was, you know, I, there was a full moon outside. And they'll find a way to put Clemson in with one loss to Syracuse. And then Syracuse will be playing some other bowl game somewhere else. Yeah, they, they, it's all about the dollars with the NCAA. It's about dollars and cents. So, uh, you know, to get into, well, speaking of dollars, the NCAA had their hand pushed. And as I've said over and over again here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios, I made it clear that the NCAA is where they are right now because they put themselves here and they have no check and balance. So they've gotten away with murder for a very long time. On top of all of that, here's this really fun thing, Mr. Kroom. You want to get something done in this country, you go to where you are right now in California, or you go to New York. You want to get something done in this country, you get New York to pass legislation or California to pass legislation, and they will push people to do things. California says athletes should be paid in college. So what does the NCAA do? They respond and say, you know what? We agree with that. Not because they necessarily do, per se, but because... California passed legislation that was supposed to take effect in 2021. Florida started working on theirs. Kentucky started working on it. New York started to do even even more legislation on top of it to make it even create to open it up even more. They wanted name, image, and likeness, the ability to hire an agent. And on top of all of that, that California was doing, they wanted 15% of the ticket sales for every game to go back to the players, and they wanted to pass that legislation. So the NCAA says, you know what, we'll allow it. Name, image, and likeness, you can make money. What are your thoughts on this, Mr. Kroom, as a former student athlete in the NCAA? Oh, I love it. They've been getting over on kids for too many years. Like I uh, was just thinking when I was watching the LSU-Alabama game, uh, what was that last Saturday, is that nobody turned on their TV to watch a coach or broadcast or anything. 
we turned over to see the players and they're the only people not getting paid. How does that make sense? And the crazy still thing that kills me to this day is the NCAA is considered a nonprofit organization. A billion dollar over billion dollar nonprofit organization. And it's one of the, it's probably like the only thing in life where you can get get put your product out and don't have to pay the employees. So it's kind of just I was so happy that they did it. So for you there are a lot of issues, you know, that, that, that can come of this. You know, there's there's the issue of uh, of inequality on teams. You know, NCAA Division One, Division Two, and Division Three. If all those players can make money, name, image, and likeness, here's there, there's so many questions that come up. Division One, you can get a free edu- you can get a scholarship. Division Two, you can get a scholarship. Division Three, you can't. So Division One and Two, you go and get your education. You're not paying for edu- your education. And you're making money on the side. NCAA Division three players, they're not making. You know, they they don't get a free education. So the money that they make is going to go toward their education, and they're going to hope to break even. While Division one and two is actually making some money. So that's a discrepancy that's unfair, but it's been unfair for a long time. Then we look at name, image, and likeness, and say, okay, if I sell a jersey at my store and I'm not affiliated with Syracuse University but I sell a Tommy DeVito jersey, do I have to give a cut of my sales to Tommy DeVito? Because I'm I'm independent. You know, I, I'm a local business. I'm, I'm an LLC, an LLC or a corporation. You know, this is my business. Do I have to share my money now because I'm selling a number 13 jersey, which is likeness to Tommy DeVito? On top of that, there is the, what if you're Eric Kroom and you get a $10,000 car sponsorship and the other guy in the defensive line next to you can't get a sponsorship. Does that cause some dissension and some disrespect and some hatred between the two of you? And then let's say you get, you know, you're a starter, you get taken off as a starter and somebody else comes in your place. Now the car company wants to breach your contract and they want to back that guy and they don't want to give you money anymore. So what does that do? Now the agents are getting involved and they're slick willies and they're not being fair. What's that going to do? So, I agree with you that players have getting one over on them for years upon years, and the NCAA saying they're nonprofit is laughable, but there are going to be about 1,002 problems that are going to be started by this thing that are going to be really hard to navigate and to police, in all honesty, in my opinion. Oh, it's definitely a lot of things that still need to be addressed with it. I know nothing's going to be perfect, but I'm just in agreement of helping the kids out because I've been in situations I've seen in colleges. When kids get their financial aid check, they send everything home or buy one thing and have to help mom with the lights and the gas and the water. You don't want to see situations like that. Yeah. I think they can broker at least a stipend each semester for all sports and each athlete get the same thing for the stipend-wise. I would say like four to $5,000 a semester. So this leaves you about $1,000 a month to you know be able to finance and it helps you you come to the door and learn how to manage things. Now, if you can't manage, you know, and all your stuff is paid for already, $1,000 a month through the, the semester, you know, that's kind of a thing you need to work on. So if you give them four to five grand semester, and any individual deal that you may happen to broker with, say, like a local car thing, they should, make, they should have a formal agreement and break it down to where they give you bits and pieces instead of one chunk. So they won't just give you, say, they want to give you a deal for $5,000. So, they break it up a uh, thousand dollars a piece or 
twenty five hundred for one part of the semester and twenty five hundred for the next part of the semester on your own individual broker deals, but it should be a set stipend for each athlete so it gives everybody the same amount so it's no discrepancies and what you broker just off your likeness individually is is what you get individually because just say last year like I always the guy the twelve guy on the bench shouldn't get the same they can get the same stipend, but he, they know his likeness is going to be way more important to value than everybody else's on the team. So what he brokers individually can go directly to him, but for the NCAA, just set a set stipend for each of the kids so everything can be equal and what you have to broker on your own and go to you. But they have to break it up for you as an athlete so you can be able to manage your money better. You know, and, and that's the thing is, you know, it's not only giving, giving money to these players, but making sure that, they manage it well and that they're smart about it. You know, there's a guy that I spoke with down in Florida that said, you know, he's a former NFL player for the Jaguars and the Packers. And he was like, you know, all these guys make all these millions of dollars in the NFL and they blow it all. And they're broke by the time that they're done playing. And there's, there's no setup. There's no check and balance to help these guys be smart with their money and know what to do. And and so he started a company to help these, to help these guys out and to invest their money and make smart decisions. So that's a piece of it too, but you know, I agree with you. You know, the NCAA is, but you know, the NCAA doesn't exist without the players, and a lot of these universities don't exist without athletics and all that money coming in, and you know, the way that Syracuse has it and everything. So, you know, I, I agree that that players deserve to be compensated and deserve to be taken care of. I just know that there's a Pandora's box that's going to be open from this as well, and I'm concerned about that, and I'm concerned about what that's going to do. And, you know, will, will men and women be treated equally? Will Olympic sports be be treated equal to basketball and football or will everything, you know, be as it was. And, and if, if everybody gets to make money, but the same problems in our society persist, then, you know, that's, that's going to be a grand issue, you know, And, and that's, that's what I'm looking at right now is if the same problems persist, how much better off are we going to be where the players do have money, but ultimately we're still talking about the same inequality. And I think that that's a huge problem in our country, not just with athletics, but in general is the inequality of it all. Yeah, that's definitely always going to be a hole in the system, but that's the whole point of building it up because you don't want to see issues like a Chase Young was in the Heisman race after Miss game because he wanted you know, his girlfriend to come out to see him play in California. And he paid it back. You don't want those issues where it affects the kids. You know, time to play sports and college over, you know, money. And there's still so many loopholes with that. You don't know what you can accept, what you can take. And that's why I said make it even across all sports and every athlete gets the same thing. So you don't have to worry about it being uh, men getting paid more than women or vice versa or certain sports getting paid more certain sports, even though we know uh, uh, basketball, football is going to be the biggest revenue generators. But if you make it even across all sports, it takes the element out of it. Well, you guys get more money because you're playing football or something like that. So if you give everybody a set stipend, I'm not saying nobody needs to get rich, but if you get that all set, that's maybe, what, 1% or 2% of the revenue the NCAA generates a year. And what you are able to generate on your own, that goes directly to you. But just set off straight to the NCAA to use likeness to things like that directly deals with the NCAA, just give them a set stipend every athlete across all sports, and then what you're able to generate on your own, that goes directly to you, but have it broke down. And you also can put in the financial literacy course of having a guy come in or a woman come in to each program and break down or put an incentive in there. You must complete your financial literacy class to get your stipend each semester. Yeah, you know, so I mean, for me, like you said, 
there, there's more work to be done and there's things that, you know, need to be had and there's contingency plans that you could put on this. And, you know, in order to get this, you have to do this or take this class or be a part of that and whatnot. But ultimately, I do I do agree that players deserve something because I look at it from this respect. Now, your NFL career, you know, was 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 short lived, Eric. And, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that have that. It's so hard to make it in the NFL and whatnot. So I look at it from this perspective and I wanted to speak with you on it because you could speak on this clearly because you went through it and uh, better than anybody else here, you know, because you've seen it. And, you know, Dungey could talk about this as well. And that is the fact that you did so, you did good things in college. You had some success in college. You got an opportunity in the NFL, but it didn't pan out to a career of five years or 10 years or, you know, 15 years in the NFL and whatnot. So in that case, if you got money for your name, image, and likeness while you're at Syracuse, you could be making that money and putting it away where if – you don't make it in the NFL and let's say the university makes $100,000 off of you and the NCAA makes $200,000 off of you and the football program sells this many tickets and at the end of the day it's like okay Eric Kroon made $500,000 for all these people but you got zero of it and your NFL career didn't you know that that didn't turn into millions and millions of dollars now you have made no money but people have made money off of you. So I look at it from the sense of how many players are not going to make it in the NFL that this is going to be their time to make money playing the sport that they love. Why can't they make that money? And, you know, if Tommy DeVito never becomes an NFL quarterback, but there's 110,000 number 13 jerseys sold and he can get 15% of that, you know, why can't he make that money? You know, if you got 110,000 jerseys sold for number 13 and let's say they're a hundred dollars a piece and he gets 15 percent of that he's making 1.65 million dollars just on jersey sales from getting 15 percent and he can put that money away you could have put that money away so i i guess from your perspective because you can speak on something that i really am concerned about for the players that don't have professional careers that turn into millions of dollars, wouldn't it make sense for you to be able to make money now in the sport that you love instead of just making it for somebody else? Uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. Like I said, I don't, I'm not in the business of saying, oh, you need to make the kids rich or give them something like that, but it can help out towards what they got going. Like it's the small percentage is going to make the NFL have a long career. So this can be their first, set up to getting them into the real world and getting them something to start off with. Because when you get out of college, that transition is difficult. Whether you're going to play professional sports or just going to get into your career, just say you saved up $20,000 over your time through college. But at least that gives you something to get started transitioning into the real world or even able to get you a car or an apartment. It'd be so much the little things that can help defeat the struggle if you just give them something. And that's the whole thing of, oh, because everybody has a dream. Like, you go to college, we all know it's about education, but when you're an athlete, you want to be a professional athlete. That's most of our dream. And the careers are very short unless you, you know, sometimes you got to be just that better than the competition or a special athlete. So to get a kid something to transition into the world will be a great thing. And it also can help them learn how to manage money from the early 20s instead of waiting until you get into, career, to get into your career to learn how to manage money. So if you had a little, little bit of money in college, oh, this didn't work, or you go through trial and error. So by the time you become really adult into the real world, you know how to manage some instead of, oh, I never had none. Then when you get a chump, you don't know how to respond to it. I see it all the time. You never, like, majority of guys never had nothing their whole life. So 
you give a kid two, three million dollars, they never had a dime. What you think they're going to how they're going to react with it? Yeah, and and that's and that's the thing, you know that that it that's the that's the issue of it all is that so many of these kids have not seen you know a hundred dollars, let alone a hundred you know a hundred million dollars or whatever it may be. So you know you put that in a situation. They talk about players go to the NFL and blow their signing bonus in the first two days going to a casino once they get it. So, I mean, you know, there has to, there has to be check and balance. There has to be a connection here of figuring it out. There has to be some type of equality, some type of formula, some type of plan that creates this, but there are a lot of issues that can arise, you know, between teams, between schools, between conferences. Ultimately, there needs to be something done to do right by these athletes because there's millions and millions and millions and billions of dollars being made by the NCAA, and yet you're not making anything, and and I think that that is unfair. So I do agree that something needs to be done. I just want to know that that model is going to be done by the right people, and the NCAA needs a check and balance. So if they're going to put this together, they need to hire an outside firm and an outside agency to do this. Cause if the NCAA is putting this together, you know, it's going to be corrupt. And I'm just trying to be honest about it. Yeah. I like, I'm, I'm with you. I, I just think it's just so many things you can't help to improve the life of these kids. And like I said, get some financial literacy courses. Like a lot of, like for me personally, I didn't know how much taxes took out of checks and things like that. They got the NFL. Like they, you conceptualize things that you have no business trying to when you first get those chunks of money. That's that big issue. Like, like the NFL, like a million dollars is really like six hundred thousand dollars at the Texas. Right. So you think, okay, you got a forty million dollar contract. You really have about a twenty-two to twenty-five million dollar contract in all reality. But if you address the kids early and give them something to teach you those things, they can help them off in the long run. So it's ways to help improve it. I say I have the answers that anybody does, but you can help them transitioning to their adult life a little better yeah and i think the literacy courses and and you know you know economics and all these pieces of it are extremely important and vital because one of the questions that comes up is if all these players are getting individual endorsements then you know are those endorsements being taxed or are you having to file your taxes and be honest at the end of the year so are they taxing him right away like a paycheck or are you a small business and do you have to file it accordingly at the end of the year? That's another question. So, you know, a lot of stuff coming up here. Eric Kroom always has great conversations with us, always opens the doorways to amazing, amazing things to come. So Eric, as always, I appreciate you. I'll have you back on the show very, very soon because we always have a great conversation. And I love that beyond everything that we've talked about on the show and all of the many angles that I brought up, you brought up, give them education, sit them down, teach them how to use their money, whether they have a dollar or a hundred million dollars, teach them how to be wise about it, teach them about taxes, what they need to do, how they need to do it, and then bringing up the angle that when a player gets a stipend, some of them send it back home to mom and dad, and they don't even get to get any of it because they're trying to help out their family while they're playing college football and so, I mean, for the angles that you brought up today, thank you so much for those because they're new perspectives and they're from someone that actually played the game. And and beyond that, thank you for, you know, just taking the time as you always do because it's always a great time when we get a chance to talk together on the show. Oh, man, thank you for having me, Dan. Appreciate you and a good conversation this morning.